It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. Recorded live. All right. How you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase in the entertainers and created five small walks. I like to say, if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. That's a bit of a weakness with me because I'm on there pretty much all the time. My Twitter handle is at CuttingRoomMRB, or you can like me on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com forward slash CuttingRoomMRB. Um, <clears throat> so you may have noticed that I'm on the old talk show format again today. I'm having some technical issues that I was running around frantically trying to uh, get past. I couldn't, so I wanted to make sure that, as I say, the show must go on, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't uh, delay the interviews at all, so we're, we're on talk show this morning. Uh, normally I am over at the mix.fm uh, um, on the mix radio network by the way so look for more shows to be coming through there and then i post my content over here uh so i've got two really good guests lined up for you today i'm very excited about doing this one of which i've, I've had on the show several times before an old friend of mine is going to be coming back uh and in the first half i've got uh holly folder on the show and just to give you some information on her first of all i wanted to give a, a very big thank you to um, a mutual friend of ours, April Washko, who has also done this show many times before uh, for having set up this interview in the first place. Um, just to give you some information on Holly, she is an actress with over 20 years of experience, and uh, you may remember her if you were a fan of this show like I was. Uh, she played Holly on the first season of Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom, uh, Ellen, of course. Uh, she was also Robin on three seasons of Anything But Love, which is another great show starring Jamie Lee Curtis, and she's now talking about um, a series that recently completed a crowdfunding run um, on Indiegogo called uh, the, Beauty De- Holly- the Hollywood Beauty Detective. Excuse me. Uh, so without further ado, The Cutting Room Floor proudly welcomes Holly Folder. Holly, how are Hi. you? Hi. I'm good, Casey. How are you? Good, good. So the first question I always have for everybody is a bit of an icebreaker. Is, uh, did I get all of your, your bio information right, or uh, was that close enough? As well? so. <laughs> Everything's good. Yeah. Okay, good. good. So what, what can you tell us about the new series? The Hollywood Beauty Detective is my way of redefining what beauty is all about. Because being in Hollywood for over 20 years and being an actress for over 20 years, I've been inside that world. And it has really been something that has affected me. So this is my way of trying to reclaim that word. And the way that the Hollywood Beauty Detective the structure of the show that I, you know, the way, the way I see it, I want it to be like uh, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. In other words, Anthony Bourdain takes his show, and he's, you know, he is himself, and, and that's part of why I think the show is so good is because he's so interesting. And he goes to different cities and different cultures and different places, and it's as much a travel show as it is a show that begins to explore how those foods came to be. And I want to do that with beauty. Because I want to make what the word beauty means more inclusive than what it is right now. Because I think it's damaging to women. I think it's damaging to girls. And I think we need to, as women and as people, push back against that and begin to look at other choices 
of what is beautiful. So that's basically what the show is going to be. Uh, on the campaign on Indiegogo, and I'm still running it on a, on a site called Fundly.com, um, we have a sneak peek up and we have our pitch video up. And the sneak peek is just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of me and a little bit of what the show you know, is going to be all about. And I'm writing the first season. We're going to go into production in April. And we have a terrific director, uh, director of photography and director, Michael Goy, who works on American Horror Story and uh, who I've known for years. So we're, we're, putting our episodes together because we're starting in Los Angeles because I live in Los Angeles and because I think a lot of the images that we get that we're presented with are from Los Angeles and the movie industry and the television industry and the, you know, the, the media and the advertising industry. So that's basically um, the, the focus of the show. No, it sounds to me like, uh, and, and I'm a fan of, of Bourdain's too. I mean, he's got a few shows out there that kind of touch on this topic, right? Like No Reservations and Parts Unknown and all these other things that he does. And, uh, you know, say nothing for the work that he's done for CNN and things like that. But, but um, you know, the way that he almost approaches it is is kind of like an anthropology of eating, right? Right, that, right. Uh, so are, are you adopting the same kind of anthropological slant on this where where you're – offering sort of a, a view, but sort of not a critical view. Or, yes, or like, very much. I want to explore what, and, and how the place dictates what, uh, the way people view beauty, because it's very different. There is the one, there's the beauty, the, the beauty, the Hollywood beauty myth that we're presented with, which is the first thing I want to push back at, because I think it's very, very limited, and I think it's, I just think it's ridiculous. If you ever Google beauty, uh, Google images of beauty, and what comes up are images of women, that, and they're very particular looking. So my, what I want to do with this show is I want to start here and say, this is what we're presented with. This is what we're told is beauty as women. This is what we're told. But let's start here. Let's start in Los Angeles. Let's look, look how that started, what that means, and now let's go other places. Let's go to Seattle and see how women's views on, because how a woman dresses and looks in Seattle is very different than how a woman dresses and looks in Orange County, California. How a woman dresses and looks in New York City is very different from how a woman dresses and looks in Dallas, Texas. And take it further and take it further into different countries and different cultures. And as we begin to educate ourselves more on different images, what I want to have happen is to have the choices women have be more inclusive. Because right now, it's, I don't believe it is that inclusive. And I think that's damaging. I think we need to be able to see other versions. I want to so, see other so, versions. So your end game really is, even though you're, you're setting out to define the way other people look at things, right? You're also from the sounds of things, also trying to open doors or keep as many doors open as possible. Exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. I mean, that's an you know, that, that's a delicate line to walk, too, when you think about it, right? Because on the, on the one hand, you you want to offer an objective perspective to, to, to present people and allow them to make up their own minds. But on the other hand, having been in this business for 20 years, you can know that there are issues, right? There are certainly many issues that I want to, that I want to expose. You know, I, I, not like exposed, but I just do want to say we are a culture that is obsessive about youth and beauty. And we're presented that as women and it's, I, 
think it's incredibly unfair. I, I do, because now I think what we're presented with are images that are photoshopped. 99% of all images that we see in magazines and ads are photoshopped. They're not real. They are not real. And in film, the, the actors and stars are photoshopped. They're manipulated. Their images are manipulated so that they can go frame by frame by frame by frame and fix those images. So what we're given then is we are looking at those images and we can't ever measure up. We can't ever because they're not even real. So what I want to do is just to say, all right, here's where we start. Here's where we start because I think this, the way it, beauty is presented to us out of Hollywood is somewhat insidious. And Let's look at it. Let's just look at it. Let's just um, see what we're given and what we're shown and is that fair? And now let's go, you know, but I, wanna, I do want to start here because I think that what that the Hollywood beauty myth starts here. The, the beauty myth itself in many ways starts here. So I do want to, I want to challenge that. I want to look at that because so what I don't was the, think what, what was the catalyst for you? I mean, you, you know, why, why now after, I mean, you, you've done a lot of great work, right? You've, been, you've had a, a career that most people would envy, right? Uh, what was the catalyst for you that, that said, okay, I'm ready to tackle a project like this? All my life, you know, growing up, I grew up in Ohio, and growing up in Ohio, I was never a pretty beautiful girl, ever, ever, ever. And that was really difficult. So that when I became, you know, when the braces came off and the I got contacts and, and I became uh, kind of acceptable physically, I guess, I never felt like I was in any way beautiful. And I began my journey into, I think all my life I've been at odds with, I, I'm an actress and yet I just want to show people that I'm beautiful. I had a note, I had my nose fixed, I, you know, I wanted to be a model so that I could reinforce that, and mainly to myself, that I looked okay, I looked okay, I looked okay. And I do believe that my, my just running toward that, try, trying to be, it was never enough, it was never enough, I never looked right enough, I never looked right enough. I think it got, has gotten in the way of so many things in my life. I think that I have a lot of friends that I uh, did theater with in, in Chicago. I worked for a long time in Chicago in the theater. And I have friends who are now in their 50s and working as, as actresses, and they work all the time, and they look their age, and they're fierce, wonderful actresses. And I chose a different path. I chose a path where I was always at odds with, do I want to look like, do I want to look like a real person, or do I want to try to look glamorous and movie starish because it was always this sort of weird fight with me, you know, within myself. And I think that got in my way. And, and I look at it now, and I look at women now who are getting older and aging, and, how, and, and my daughter, who's 17, and what she's going through. And I just, this is much, this show is as much for me as it is for anybody else, because I want to look at this, because this is something that, that, affected me in my life and I and I think in many ways affected me negatively and is I don't your, want my is, daughter to go through it. Is your daughter uh, uh, 
at the risk of touching on the touchy subject, but is your daughter also considering a uh, a career in show business, or, or is she? My daughter, to... my daughter's a dancer, and she is for okay. a long yeah for a long time she was a ballet dancer, and she like I said she's seventeen, and last year she went to the Houston Ballet for I think a six week program, and one of the things that she took back from that was she was there. And there is a very, very specific body type for ballet. At least there was in this particular company. And part of that is really thin, really, really, really thin. And what she came back with was, you know, they don't accept all that many people in those programs, but she was one of the larger girls. Now, my daughter is not large. But in in terms of that, where she was, she, she was... She was considered larger, and it was talked about from the different instructors. And a lot of the girls there probably have, you know, some kind of body dysmorphia or, you know, because they're focusing on it so much. And she came back from that and she said, I don't know that I want to do ballet anymore because I don't like the way it makes me feel about myself. I don't want to be... I don't want to have to be constantly thinking that I'm too fat or I'm too this or I'm too that. And she, today she's going actually on an audition for Alvin Ailey. She just she left um, about five, ten minutes ago. So she's shifting where, you know, her, her, the way she expresses herself through dance. And part of that was because she went to Houston and there was that specificity of body. And I admire her for saying, no, I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that anymore. And I can, you know, I want to explore this now because it's just, it's everywhere. And she's, she, she, my daughter's an artist, so she will, um, you know, find a way to express herself through her dance. But ballet won't be it. No, I mean, there, there's also a double-edged sword that often gets talked about. I'm going to call it out for, for what it is, but I mean, you know, there's been reams of information that have been written over the fact that, that women generally, and I, I'm going to pick my words extremely carefully because I don't want to hear about it later, but uh, that women generally have shorter careers in acting than men who, who yeah. Can, right? With the, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it's it's ridiculously unfair. It's completely ridiculously unfair. It really is. I mean, that's another reason. As I started to get older, I was focused on my kids for a long time, so I wasn't as focused on my career. But you come, you know, you get back into it, and it's just the roles are not there. They're not there. Not only are they not there, but the focus for women is always on youth. You know, it's one of those things where I'll just br- bring up this. We we live in a culture that where youth is is just that's that is what it's all about youth. So that as women in this industry, we are in that kind of youth obsessed industry. So then you have someone like Renee Zellweger, who has had a big huge career and comes and does something. I think I don't know, but looks like she's had some kind of something done to her face. So what happens is she is called out on it and she is mocked and shunned and made fun of. And Now, how is that in any way fair at all? Because here is a woman who's been in this industry for a long time and, she's shown, and what she's seen is that it's you know, this youth-obsessed industry, so she makes a choice 
to age that way, right? You, you know, looking, trying to look younger, and then she's made fun of. It's this weird, weird setup for women, and it's just, it's just not fair. There are certain women who are changing that. There, you know, women like Jessica Lang, who Michael works with on American Horror Story, who is just, I, I love her, and she's powerful, and she's, yeah, she's in her sixties, and she's working all the time. Or Helen Mirren, or Helen Mirren is one of my favorites. Yeah, oh, me that. too. She's just fabulous, and she's just right there with it. You know, she really is. But that takes an incredible amount of self, an incredible amount of, um, I don't know. I mean, she's she's something. But those 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 women are sort of blazing the way for other women. But it's. But it's a societal thing as well. So it's, it's tough. It's hard being a woman in this industry. It really is, particularly as you get older. It's just... Uh, I, I'm just going to pause here, Holly, because I think I've got Rachel on the phone. Rachel, are you there? Okay. Yes, I'm here. Hey, Hi. how you doing? Good, thank you. Okay, Hi, Rachel, Holly. Actually, this, Hi, this Rachel. Actually, this is actually a good contact for you, Rachel. Uh, you may want to follow up with Holly later. She's working on a project. I thought of you when I was actually researching this this week. Uh, she's working on a um, a series called The Hollywood Beauty Detective. It's basically an anthropology of beauty and, and uh, uh, deals with sort of perception issues and things like that. And she's starting in Hollywood, but she's going to cast her net a little bit further. So this looks like uh, you know it might be something that, that uh, would be fitting with your blog or something like that. Definitely. That's definitely. And, Holly, I wanted to introduce you to a friend of mine, Rachel Thompson, who is the guest in the second half of the show. Rachel is, uh, in addition to being a social media consultant, she um, also does a lot of writing on on women's issues and and, uh, has done a number of different campaigns and, uh, you know, very well known in the indie lit business. Hi, Rachel. So happy to meet you. I'll be emailing you. Or tweeting you or something. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's you. fabulous. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. Oh. You can find me. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. You. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll make sure that, uh, you know, okay. every, it's like six degrees of Rachel Thompson on Twitter. Really. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I've benefited from that more often than I can count, really. Uh, so, 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 Holly, I, one last question for you here. I, one thing that I was kind of curious about, right? Uh, now, I'm just this is just me thinking with the nerd part of my brain, but 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 why a series as opposed to one sort of larger, you know, all-encompassing documentary where you could sort of look at it with every angle at once? Why why did you decide to break this up? Well, frankly, this was something that I have been developing this for quite a while. I had a, a I have a website called Speaking of Beauty that I, and I did a show that it, where I interviewed 16 women about their ideas on beauty. And for me, this was more: how can I continue this? What do I need to do? I want to take the idea further. And the web series, I just I just researched web series and and I wanted to do it with my fundraising campaign so that it seemed a little bit do, more doable at this point than, than doing a full-on documentary. So for me, it was more, I might do a documentary. That, that's, you know, I may very well do that. But for me, this was more doable at the moment. And, I, you know, I get, very, I get very impatient, and I just want to move <laughs> forward and do it. So this was a little bit more, you know, available to me than, say, a documentary. But uh, my producer, one of the women who I, you know, one of my, my producing partner, we've talked about a documentary, but for us right now, where we are, this is the way, our, we want to create our foundation and our platform. And this seems like the way to do it, the, the most, 
you know, kind of the one where we could do it quickly, quicker, and 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 get our point across. And then if we want to pitch a documentary or fundraise for one, then we could do it once we have our platform uh, stated and and you know finished. So that's why. Sort of lay, lay the foundation and keep your options yeah. open. Yeah. Correct. Or, no, I yeah. mean it's a smart way of doing it when you think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, so so I, I've got to tie this up here, Holly. But where can people go to keep tabs on what you're doing? I know you said you're going into production in April, uh, but let's get in a good solid plug for your um, your social media feeds and uh, websites and and the like. Where can people go to learn more about you? Social media. I'm on Twitter at Holly Folger. H O L L Y F U L G E R. We still are up on Fundly.com. And just look for the Hollywood Beauty Detective. And we still, I still would like to raise that extra 20% for our campaign because we do start shooting in April. So I'm, you know, I'm doing uh, some just uh, fundraising stuff with that. And you can go there and you can look at the campaign and you can see and learn what it's about. You can also, we also have the Hollywood Beauty Detective fan page on Facebook. You can friend me on Facebook at Holly Folger. And we're putting, as when we launch, when we launch on, you know, our series, we'll have our website up. But at the moment, what we're doing now is we're creating all of it for our launch, which I'm hoping will be sometime in the early fall. Because if we start, if we start our uh, production in April, then, you know, by fall, we should have all the elements uh, kind of in line. So, so check us out because I'm excited about this. I think this is something that can really change the consciousness a little bit about beauty and you know, make the world a little bit better. No, I mean, I'm interested in see the uh, the kinds of stories that you're going to be telling too, particularly when you start to break out of uh, out of California. You know, just to yeah, see happens, I know. I'm uh, very excited, too, so. and I will for sure keep. You know, well, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you on Twitter. No, no. I mean, if you want to come back after you get a little bit further down the road with it, I'd be happy to have you back for. Oh, a I would love that. I would truly right. love that. Thank you so much. No problem. Tell uh, April I said hi, and then uh, we'll definitely be in touch. All right. Okay. Take care. And bye, Rachel. I'll see. You. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, absolutely. Okay, take care. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we've been talking with Holly Falter. Again, uh, uh, very interesting-sounding documentary series that she's got going called The Hollywood Beauty Detective. It's basically an anthropology of beauty, but also an examination or a critical look at um, some of the um, the women's issues that are taking place in in Hollywood and, and, uh, you know, the definition of beauty and things like that. So I'm looking forward to reading more about that. Uh, on the second half of the show, of course, I've got Rachel Thompson, and uh, if you've listened to me at all over the course of the last couple of years, you've heard Rachel's name mentioned a few times. Um, she's a best-selling author of four books, two of which were humorous and two of which weren't, and all four of which I've read. I read the last one this week. Uh, she's also contributed to numerous anthologies. She's a fellow podcaster and blogger and a social media consultant that I've cited many, many times in the course of the uh, little talks that I've given uh, on social media when I've been invited to do so through various things. And, uh, and you can look her up, uh, for my money, the sort of the, the best one out there, Bad Redhead Media. Uh, she also dragged yours truly kicking and screaming out of my shell a little bit to do a little bit of writing on my own and to <laughs> lighten the tone of my show a little bit, and I give her full credit for that. Um, Thank you. T- here today to talk about her latest book, Broken Places, which was uh, the follow-up to a book that I read a while ago called Broken Pieces, is our old friend Rachel Thompson. Rachel, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. It's been a while. So, it sounds cool when somebody else says it, right? But, it does. I'm like, hmm, wow. <laughs> I didn't say anything that wasn't true. I, that's that's uh, the other thing. So, right? So, how you been? 
Good, obviously very busy. <laughs> so, yeah, um, the business is really busy, and I'm working. Um, I'm published now by Booktrope, and I'm doing quite a bit of marketing with them as well as, you know, having them publish my own books. And so I got some great news. In fact, I just wrote a blog post about it um, on Bad Redhead Media that they've offered me my own imprint. Uh, having to do with bringing stories of trauma and recovery to light. So it's very exciting. It wasn't anything that I really ever had in my five-year plan. Um, But I'm very excited to be able to uh, be connected with them in that way. I don't work for them, of course. Um, People would still have to submit their work, you know, to Booktrip directly. They are a hybrid publisher. So for people who may not understand really what that is, um, you can go directly to their site. It's just booktrope.com and find out more about it. But um, they're a wonderful company. And, you know, um, what I like about it is that, you know, different – a lot of people really are confused by hybrid publishers. They don't really understand what the difference is between traditional and hybrid and indie. And there's just so many options now, which I think is wonderful. Um, and uh, Catherine Sears is their uh, CMO, and she did a really nice breakdown for me last week on my also Bad Redhead Media blog, really pinpointing the differences between the three options. And if, if somebody is interested, which, you know, not telling anybody, of course, which way to go, but really, you know, highlighting the pros and cons of each. So, um, you know, basically with a hybrid publisher, you still have to submit your work. You still go through that screening slash approval vetting process. And um, they pay for everything up front. So what's nice is having done my books indie for so long, you know, you have to put that money out up front and hope to make it back through, you know, marketing and, you know, all the stuff that we do. And a lot of indie authors are just really overwhelmed by the cost. and, and, And a lot of them really aren't able to put out quality work because of that. Uh, they can't afford, a, you know, an editor or a graphic artist. or And so, you know, unfortunately, the work suffers. And this way, you know, if their work is great, then they can submit it. And it costs them nothing to go through a hybrid publisher. They make the money on the back end, which is what we do anyway, if you think about it. Even a traditionally published author is going to make their money on the back end since advances are incredibly rare anymore. So... Um, it's a really nice option. I'm really happy to be with them. And, you know, I'm still going to be creating my own books. And then, you know, as authors come in and, and are screened and approved, I'll, if, if their stories are appropriate, they'll end up over in my imprint, which is called Gravity, because our stories matter. So I was really excited to be involved with that. Now, I, I wanted to, uh, to bring this up. Like I, I, I kind of got a little bit of insight into this in terms of reading this book that, that I, mm-hmm. I didn't actually get the first time when I, I read Broken Pieces. But um, I understand that the one of the catalysts for you to, to like as you often say, and I, I, I think that this is a really sort of poignant turn of words, is uh, to give yourself permission to tell your story, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, that one of your catalysts was actually writing for Gabe. Right, that that uh, yes. from my from my understanding, and what, I was just wondering if you could volunteer that story. Yeah, um, Gabe Berman is a fellow author friend, and we actually just met online through somebody I can't remember who, and we started talking. And he started a blog uh, several years ago. His father was um, unfortunately he's passed now, but he um, 
was dying of brain cancer. And so um, Gabe, being the writer that he is, he's written a wonderful book called Live Like a Fruit Fly, (laughs) which I love. Um, He started writing letters, not just letters to his dad, but letters to anybody. You know, he wrote a letter to Mick Jagger. And, you know, and these weren't letters that he actually sent, but he posted on his blog. And so he's like, am I crazy? Should I do this? And I said, yeah, just do it. So he invited people to write letters to anybody they would love to have a conversation with, whether it's in a positive or not really negative, but, you know, um, for lack of a better word, negative way, um, you know, whether it's a happy situation or a not-so-happy situation. And so he approached me and he said, what would you think about writing to the pedophile next door? Because when I was 11, I was uh, sexually abused repeatedly by my neighbor. And um, he was a father of four or five kids. And um, eventually, um, I had to testify against him in both a civil trial and a military trial. And he got two years. And and a lot of that's in the book. And I said, oh, my gosh, no, I couldn't do that. And, And he said, okay, well, just think about it. You know, I think it would do really well. And I think it would be really good for you and cathartic and all that. So, you know, it kind of ate at me. And and darn it. So I finally, I just one day just whipped out some paper and wrote it out longhand. And word for word, I, I sent it to him and he said, oh my gosh, this is great. Can I post it? And I said, yes, just do it before I change my mind. And really, that was it. That was the first thing that I said, okay, I'm going to publicly talk about what happened. And it was um, easier than I thought, actually. I was ready to share what what has happened because I was just really, really tired of feeling like I had done something wrong for all those years. And that's, it's very common for survivors to feel that shame. And I was just over it and it was very freeing for me. And I just started writing about a lot of what happened. And it wasn't only just about the sexual abuse. It was about the suicide of my ex boyfriend and, you know, a date rape situation in college and, you know, it's almost like you open those floodgates. You give yourself permission to talk about the difficult things. And we all have stories, and we just have to let ourselves tell them. Now, i, I got to ask you, I, I mean, to me, the first book was very all-encompassing. You, you, you talked about a lot of different things, and, and mm-hmm. uh uh, I, I was just wondering. First of all, you were very. You mentioned uh, a few times, right, in, in various articles that you've written and online and all that other stuff. That, uh, that that you were actually kind of taken aback by by how strong the reaction was that you got positively from from mm-hmm. having put together broken pieces, right? Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I really um, kind of thought it would be. You know, some people might see it in a negative light, thinking that I was somehow trying to. excuse me, capitalize on a negative situation. I was a little nervous about that. Um, Or maybe they would just think it was some sort of, you know, vanity project or something. I really had no idea what the reception would be. And, you know, a lot of times when you go into, um, you know, putting out a book, you want to be able to target your demographic. And I really had no idea um, who my demographic was going to be, I knew that one in four women were sexually abused, um, particularly um, as children. It's extraordinarily common, sadly, one in six men. But I really had no idea how they would embrace me. And it got to the point where I had people just sending me these just heartbreaking emails of 
incest and abuse. And I'm not a psychologist. I, I couldn't and wouldn't advise them in any way. I'm not a therapist. But I could just feel that there was this wellspring of desire for people to tell their stories in some sort of a safe way. And so I was able to connect with Bobby Parrish, who is a therapist, a survivor, incest survivor herself, and uh, very uh, an author, very well-spoken. And I connected with her, and I said, hey, I'm thinking of doing a few things. Would you be interested in, you know, you know, taking a look and seeing if you'd be interested. And she was like, sure, what what you got? So we talked about it. I had already started a private secret, what they call secret group on Facebook, um, just for people who are survivors. Um, so we have a place to just talk and vent. And it's not, you know, therapy or anything. It's really just a kind of community, right? Um, but what I really wanted to do was start a public Twitter chat because I felt that there was a certain aspect of coming out, really, about my own abuse, uh, for lack of a better word, and about removing the stigma of it, of talking about it in public. And so um, I, I registered the hashtag uh, sex abuse chat. I set up the time, and I asked Bobby to be my co-host because I felt it really important to have somebody who is, um, you know, uh, trained to deal with people who are or can be very fragile. And so we started it in January of last year, and it's just grown to, I wouldn't say epic proportions, but we have a good 40 or 50 people who show up every week. Uh, Many of them have joined the private Facebook group. And out of that came the No More Shame Project, which is um, a way for other people um, to tell their stories. And so it's interesting. A lot of people lurk during the chat because they're not ready to talk about it. Um, Occasionally we get critics, usually men, um, no offense. Um, I had a guy show up last week who said, why on earth would you want to talk about this in public? It's a very private matter. And I said, well, why on earth would we not want to? We did nothing wrong. And so there's a lot of societal and cultural uh, changes that still have yet to be made. But we're a very proud, tight community and very protective of each other. And um, No More Shame, we have an anthology out now. Um, The first one's called Discovering True. And what we did is we asked anybody who is a survivor to share a story, an essay, a poem um, that we could put into the book. Uh, Bobby edited the book. Uh, Athena Moberg created the um, cover and did all the formatting. And then um, we went through and picked, you know, a certain number of essays and, and, and stories and put them all together and then put it up for sale. And then 10% of the profits will go um, to rain, and then the rest goes back into producing the next volume, which may actually get picked up now by my gravity imprint, and the cost will be covered by um, book trips. So it's kind of a wonderful loop. So it's it's really given way more people a voice than I ever would have imagined. And so for that, I'm just incredibly grateful and thankful for the whole process. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that really struck a nerve with me, and first of all, like I I appreciated the fact that you put the trigger warning in there. And uh, uh, I, I don't pretend to have gone through anything like that, but I 
mm-hmm. do have my own hill to climb in terms of the fact that I suffer from anxiety attacks. And, and uh, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I noticed that you you put in there was about challenging the definition of normal. And, and I, I always kind of resented that. <laughs> you know, when people say, hey, he's, you know, he's having a good day today. He looks okay. He looks normal. And I, I, I mm-hmm. just, I hate that, uh, you know, that, 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 that people highlight the fact that, that, you know, you can have a good day and a bad day. Everybody has them, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that really bothers me from a uh, – well, there's two things, I guess. One is, you know, what is normal, right? Because um, everybody's definition is completely different. Normal could just be for someone like you who gets anxiety or panic attacks. It, normal could just be, you know, getting through the day with that one. Yeah, exactly. But maybe, yeah. you know, it's a very low-energy day or whatever, but that's okay because it's, you know, that's a good day for you. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm also involved with Stigma Fighters. Uh, we should totally get Sarah Fader on here. She started it. It's a nonprofit. There's Stigma Fighters Canada now, so you should definitely look it up. And um, what she's doing is um, she's helping to remove the stigma of mental illness. She also suffers from panic attacks and anxiety and has since she was very young. And But it's any kind of mental illness. She's looking for people. You would be great to write a blog post for her about dealing with it. Um, and Maybe, yeah, I'd be her, proud to if you want to put me in touch Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll connect you when we're done here. I'll send you guys a, a, a message on Facebook. But her whole point is we have to talk about it. She writes for Psychology Today. She writes for Huffington Post. And it's like there's no, you know, she's like, I'm taking crazy back, you know. There's no reason to call somebody. I, she's fabulous, right? She went to the same high school, and she'll talk to anybody. She'll sing. I mean, she's just one of those great, awesome, outspoken people, and she's a perfect person to head this up. But what I love about the Sigma Fighters, and that's, you know, another reason I got involved, is, you know, survivors um, tend to have some kind of uh, mental illness. And I hate calling it an illness because it makes us sound like we're sick or diseased in some way. But, you know, it's very common if you go to, like, the RAIN website, R-A-I-N-N, which stands for Rape, Abuse, Incest, National Network. Um, you know, it's, it's incredibly common for any survivor of really any kind of abuse to have depression, anxiety, um, some kind of substance abuse, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, flashbacks and nightmares. I mean, I, I would challenge you to find a survivor that does not have any of those things. It's just impossible. And so one of the things that we're learning through doing sex abuse chat in the groups and, and all the writing is that we're not alone in this. And that's another great thing about Sigma Fighters, too, is the community aspect of it is so incredibly important because you have these attacks or you have these flashbacks or you don't understand why someone shuts the door and you jump 10 feet. But now it all makes sense because you realize that you were, for example, in my childhood, I still had to live next to, next to the neighbor and the family for eight years after all this happened. My family didn't move. And so I developed this hypervigilance. It was very hard for me to sleep through the night. I was always checking, obsessively checking my windows and doors. I write about that in the book. So that hasn't changed. That carries into adulthood, even though I don't have to deal with that anymore. But I didn't know that I was doing that, right? So it's really interesting how you talk to other people and you find out they do that too. And so you're not crazy. You're, you're normal. That's your normal. 
because that's what you've had to deal with. So it's really just a wonderful way to reach out to people and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I get it. And you call that out too, right? That anybody that suffers from something traumatic like that, uh, and, I mean, you've pulled no punches as far as, you know, putting down, and I admire you for that in both books, no less. Yeah. Uh, to say nothing for the, where you talk about the um, the suicide of your ex and things like that, which I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. must have been a horrible thing to go through as well. But but um, that when you go through trauma like that, that your brain chemistry actually gets rewired a little bit, right? Yeah, there's there's new data, and Bobby's been great about really sharing this because you know for people who are so entrenched in you know um, thinking that you just need to get over it and move past it. Um, there's actual data now that's out by Yale, Harvard, you know, in the UK, I and mean, you can just Google it, that shows that you're, after that trauma victims of any kind, it doesn't have to be sexual trauma, it can be, you know, um, soldiers and, you know, anything that somebody has suffered that has caused, caused significant trauma, it actually changes you at a cellular level. And so... Um, you create these uh, responses that are physical and you or physiological, and you don't know that this is happening. Um, and people kind of think, well, that's not possible. You can't change your DNA; can't be changed. But your cells can. Your cells actually change. Your brain chemistry changes, and this is why you have depression and hypervigilance and uh, post-traumatic stress. This is why triggers happen. It's not like we're being sensitive. Um, it's we don't even a lot of times. You know, the brain is so incredibly complicated that even you know neurologists still can't tell us you know why migraines happen, right? Because I get migraines. Nobody ever once said to me in the twenty-something years that I've had migraines, were you sexually abused as a child? Not one neurologist has said that to me. But now they realize that um, children who were abused. Are I don't know like eight or eight or ten times more likely to get migraines as adults. There's studies that show that because of the cellular changes that go on. So it's really fascinating to see um, that you know we're not nuts, <laughs> you no. know. Yeah, um, but but there's it really I think is going to change a lot of the way that people look at, at mental illness and how our past affects our future. Now, there's one soundbite that I pulled out of the, your book, and I I always find one or two that, that kind of stick with me for a long time after. Uh, mm-hmm. The one that I'm going to pull out this time is I laugh when people say writing nonfiction is easier than fiction. There's nothing easy about writing, period. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's tried it will tell you the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I do hear that a lot, though. It's interesting. People will say, oh, you know, you're successful because you write nonfiction, and that's just so much easier than writing fiction. And I'm I'm not going to disagree with them that you have to you have to manage a lot more when you're managing plots and characters and things. I have you know tons of nonfiction I'm sorry fiction sitting in my drawer because I didn't feel that it was good enough or publishable. Um, but it's not like pulling all this out of us is easy work by any means. And that's what I think stops many writers. In fact, I started coaching a coaching program through Bad Redhead Media called Writing What Scares You because so many people 
are terrified to even write in a, a little notebook or journal that nobody will ever, ever see the stories that they think, my God, if my mother ever saw this, you know, where they talk about, you know, being raped or the sexual abuse by their father that their mother doesn't know about or, you know, something horrible that happened in college. Nobody ever has to see that. Just write it down. But they, don't, they can't even get to that point. And that's all nonfiction. And if, if that's easy, I challenge that person to, to write it down because it's not, there's nothing easy. So is that the, uh, for lack of a better word, the advice that you would give to somebody who's trying to come to terms with this for the first time? Or, or I guess what, what to you is the, uh, is the first step in the journey of a thousand miles? Uh, for somebody who wants to write about this, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. or just to, or just to process it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think writing for anybody can be cathartic. Um, a lot of people say to me, oh, writing your books must be really cathartic. And I say, you know, kind of. It doesn't really change what happened. Um, you can't go back and change the past. All you can really do is, like you said, process it and then move forward. And I think a, a lot of uh, what's helped me through this writing process is recognizing certain things within me, how I react to certain things or experiences that I've had, um, and understanding more about them. And that's where this group setting and this community has become so helpful in my own writing. And then taking even just one subject. For example, I get um, if I get into a situation that becomes emotionally overwhelming for me, I tend to... Uh, run away, not like actually, you know, run, physically run away, but I'll, you know, leave the room. It takes me a while to process something. And then I'll come back and say, okay, now I can handle this. Um, and something I learned, um, and this is especially can be damaging in relationships because you're sitting there with the person that you love and they're like, whoa, where'd you go, right? Um, but what I learned is that that is a form of control for me as a survivor because that control was taken away from me as a kid. And so it's a way for me to sort of take my power back. I don't think that I would have ever really been able to recognize that had I not been able to write about it or talk about it in a setting like sex abuse chat or in my group or or anything like that. So I, I encourage people to at least write down the things that frustrate them about themselves with regard to their reactions, things they don't understand, because to me, it was all kind of a haze. I didn't really understand the way I reacted to things. But then I started writing things down like that. Why do I run away? And then talking about them, and it, it all started to make a lot more sense. And then we can decide how we want to react to things. Because, you know, as, as Bobby says, for a long time, I didn't call it recovery because it made it sound to me like I'm, I'm not, like there's still something wrong with me. Right, right, and I rejected right. that notion. I don't call myself a victim. I call myself a survivor. I call all of us survivors. And um, so I have a hard time with that term, recovery. And so she's been working with me to say it's okay to call it recovery because it's a process, you know. Um, and I think that's something, that's where people can start and realize that they they need to start recovering themselves and the way to do that is to identify the, the, the areas that they don't understand about how they react to certain things. That was very now, uh, t- Tangentially to that, I, we, we have a couple of minutes left here, Rachel, but I, yeah. this was 
kind of a, a question I got from the chat room here. But you, if, if memory serves, you don't have a show on Talk Show, but uh, do, do yeah. you have any kind of regular podcast about these kinds of topics at all? Well, I do a radio show on Blog Talk Radio every Wednesday at 3.30 Pacific time with Bennett Pomerantz. And we, it's called Let's Talk, and we just do all kinds of different topics. Sometimes we talk about <coughs> excuse me, um, sexual abuse. Um, we talk about breast cancer. We, we have Eden on talking about that, um, Eden Bailey. Um, we talk about, you know, we had an accountant on talking about how authors need to, you know, keep track of our expenses. It's really about any kind of topic. So it's not specific to that, but we do really try to talk about um, topical things. Uh, we had Bobby on when Stephen Collins, you know, that whole thing came out. Um, so I think, you know, any kind of top, topical current event we, we discuss. Um, Bobby and Athena actually took the idea of the sex abuse chat, and the, which is on Tuesdays at 6 on Twitter, and you just type in sex abuse chat and you can participate. And on Wednesdays, they actually do a Google Hangout on air, and people can come in, at, and it's open, and they can talk about the same topics we talked about in chat the night before, but it's an open, you know, more visual format as well. So, um, so there's that. At this point, I don't have a specific radio show just about this, but it's on my to-do list. <laughs> well, it is in my spare time. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So thanks to Tattered Flag, who was in the chat room for asking the question, and I'll I'll also add that Bennett shows is uh, you know can be fun depending on the topic that they cover. They had me horsing around talking with uh, with Rachel about the Academy Awards last year. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit of a must with me. So, um, yeah. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start something that my father-in-law always says to me. He says, "Never two without three, right? Uh, yeah. To, the, to that extent, do you think that there's another broken-themed book in oh, yeah. someplace? Yeah, I'm already working on broken people. Um, I've gone round and round with my editor about it. She's like, I don't want you to call it that because it sounds so negative. And I said, you know, I don't think it sounds negative. You know, all of them start with a piece. So it's broken pieces, broken places, and then broken people. Because I think it's going to focus more on um, the effects of abuse on relationships because, you know, the um, incidence of divorce and uh, is very, very high with survivors. I myself am actually going through a divorce right now. It's... Um, you know, I was married for 22 years. Uh, fortunately, we're still good friends, and it's very amicable, and uh, the kids are doing fine. Um, but I think it's not, you know, it's something that needs to be addressed that a lot of people just don't want to talk about. And so I'm working on the relationship aspect of being a survivor and the various relationships, not only in my life, but um, how others uh, seem to be having similar issues. So, yes, there will be broken people. And then with regard to the humor books, it's been on the back burner for a long time, but I did a walk in the snark and man could expose, and I still would like to do chick speak uncovered. And so there will be a third book with regard to that as well. And then my very first uh, social media book is, is also something I'm working on co concurrently called Tough Love for Whiny Authors. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's the first one that you're doing on your own, though. But I mean, I've read a couple of yeah. others that you can that you contributed to as a group, right? About uh, yeah. you know, the economics of book marketing and and, yeah. and that kind of thing too. That where you were a joint author, right? Yeah, yeah. But this one will be all my own. I wrote an article for Huffington Post called "Authors Are um, I Can't Say It on Air A Whole," 
And um, it was meant tongue-in-cheek, um, but it was really just about stop whining and do the work. You know, the, there's no magical marketing fairy. And here's a list of all the stuff you have to do and just shut up and do it. And I actually won an award from Predators and Editors for the, um, for the best nonfiction article. And from that, I jokingly said, I'm going to go work on my next book, Tough Love for Whiny Authors. And the feedback has been friggin' amazing. And, I, and so I talked to Book Trope and they said, do it. Let's do it. It'll be great. So I'm, <laughs> I'm working on that now as well. So last question I have for you here as we tie this up, and, and again, thanks a lot for coming back, uh, by the way. Sure. And, uh, it, you know, it's always an open-door policy with you. If you ever want to come back here, I'd be happy to have you again, right? Oh, uh, thank you. Where, where can people go to uh, either buy copies of your books or learn more about what you were doing from uh, either your author work or, or the, uh, the sex abuse support work or uh, even the, uh, the social media stuff? Let's get a sure. run for all your sites. Sure. Um, my author site is Rachel in the OC, which stands for Orange County, where I used to live for 17 years. I don't live there anymore, but I'm stuck with the name. Uh, RachelintheOC.com. Uh, for my business, it's BadRedheadMedia.com. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm everywhere. I'm Rachel in the OC on Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and Pinterest and and Instagram everywhere. Um, and then uh, for anybody who is looking for advice or help um, or services I um, am for hire of course um, I'm just go to bad redhead media and check out I have a, a blog where I give lots of advice and tips and all that's free and um, for anything having to do with sex abuse I would go to sex abuse chat um, or just join the chat any Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time 9 p.m. Eastern time or you can go look up the No More Shame Project on Facebook or go to check out Discovering True on Amazon. We'd love anybody to purchase the book and review it. And, um, you know, all the, like I said, all the money gets funneled into the next volume. So it's a great way for, you know, survivors to tell their story. Well, again, thanks a lot, Rachel, and uh, thanks for sending me a copy of the book. I I blew through this uh, over the last couple of days, and you know, what can I tell you? I I know that whenever I'm going to pick up a book by you, I'm never going to be able to put it down. So again, Aww. thanks a lot. So, Thank you. Appreciate uh, that. So, so that's going to about do it for us this week. I'm going to be back again uh, next week at the same time. Hopefully, I'll be back on the mix if, uh, if Skype decides to cooperate with me. Um, I guess next week are going to be John Winston, who's going to be dialing in from the UK, uh, and another great podcaster, Nikki S. from Everything in the Kitchen Sick. Uh, so a quick shout-out to uh, Paul Reeves over in Scotland, who has been listening to almost all of my shows, and all everybody else who's downloading this uh, later. Again, you, know, you can follow up on all the websites uh, through my Twitter feed and everything. So we'll talk to you guys next Sunday. Cut, print, wrap, and I am done. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.